What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Thank you guys so much for your support over the years. Got a good night's rest last night. Had a busy day yesterday. Let me kind of bring you guys up to speed. But by the time we get to Sunday, the book will be written. There'll still be some editing that we've got to do and that sort of stuff, even though the editors have really kind of kept good pace with me because everybody is determined to get this book out in plenty of time for the holidays. And barring something totally unforeseen, should be a November release. We're hoping for late October. We're not expecting that. That was the plan, but because there's all this, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in America that don't want to work, and then there's, you know, a lot of delays in the, in the you know, supply chain. So they've told us it'll be instead of four to six weeks, likely six to eight weeks. So we're doing our best to make sure you guys have this. But yesterday I sat and visited with Ron Polk and Chris Lamonis, interviewed them really you know, to, to get some backstory kind of leading into the season, but also, too, you know, kind of leading up to the 2021 season, you know, you want to give, you know, the national championship some context. And so, you know, I've got a history chapter that kind of gets you up to Ron Polk's era. And I interviewed Coach and learned a lot of things about Ron Polk yesterday. A lot of things. You know, it's like, you know, you know Ron's been with us for so long, you feel like you know a lot. And you probably do, but I learned a lot of things yesterday that I'd never known. One of them was that he almost didn't take the job at Mississippi State. My goodness, think about where our college baseball program would be today if we didn't have Ron Polk. Now listen, we've always been great at baseball, but Polk helped us get to a different level. He took me through some of the steps that he utilized to kind of elevate Mississippi State from kind of a regional program to a national program. A lot of that had to do with out-of-state recruiting. A lot of it had to do with the Mississippi State Bulldog Baseball Radio Network, which was really revolutionary at the time. One thing that he shared with me, and you'll read about this in the book in, in greater detail, is when he went to the University of Georgia, and I know that, that all felt like your old girlfriend uh, moving in with a, you know, with a neighbor or something, you know. But uh, he said he went to Georgia, and he's like, hey, we need to expand the radio network. He said the University of Georgia had one radio station in the entire state that carried Georgia Bulldog baseball. And it was in Athens, and it had a reach of about eight miles. But when he ran around the state trying to sell Georgia baseball, 
those other radio stations all carried the Atlanta Braves and just couldn't find any takers, which really shows how unique the situation is with Mississippi State. You know, in the 80s, even though we had already become you know, a very competitive college baseball program, we didn't have a lot of brand awareness outside of our own fan base. And because of the fact that we were broadcast throughout the state, anytime you wanted to hear base, if you heard a college baseball game in the 1980s, it was a Mississippi State baseball game. And that did a lot to really bring Mississippi State's brand to the masses in the great state of Mississippi. So, again, a lot of that will be in the book. But a lot of things I learned yesterday, that's one thing I love about Coach Polk, is if you can set up some time and kind of visit with him and sit down and talk, he has plenty to say. And, yeah, there were some times he talked about the NCAA, and he's like, I know we don't want to talk about that. And we didn't spend a lot of time on it. We really talked a lot about kind of the history of Mississippi State, what he inherited when he got here. A lot of people forget this, is that Polk did not succeed Paul Gregory. He succeeded Jimmy Bragan. After Paul Gregory's tenure ended, we hired Jimmy Bragan, who was here for one year, and then he left uh, to go be with Alex Grammis in the the major leagues. And so Polk took over for Jimmy Bragan, and all that happened pretty late. It wasn't a situation where, you know, you had the full year to kind of recruit and kind of settle things down. You know, fall baseball was essentially done. And so all of that is really interesting to me. And I think you guys will find it as well. And so I spoke with Coach Lamonis. Lamonis had a funny joke, too. You know, baseball guys are always at each other. It's what they do. It's part of the deal. You got to kind of rub on each other a bit. And Chris told me, he says, hey, when you talk to Polky, tell him, remind him of this joke I told him the other day. He said that he, he, uh, he talked to Coach, and he said, he said, Polky, he said, uh, have you seen the, the front of the stadium? He goes, now what are they doing out there? Are they cleaning up? What's going on? He goes, oh, well, they, they changed the name to Lamonis Dement Stadium. He goes, but don't worry. We saved those, uh, those four letters at Polk, and we got a concession stand out in left field lounge with your name on it. So it's pretty funny. But uh, those guys love each other, man. That's the thing. I guess yesterday, you know, you know they're neighbors. And, you know, Polk's in the baseball office pretty much every day. And Lamonis made a comment, too, that, you know, that Polk's never really second-guessed him. There's just a respect there between those guys. And let's, let's be honest. I mean, you know, when John brought, you know, Coach Polk back to campus, you know, kind of gave him the special position, that sort of thing, you know, that's got to be a little bit uncomfortable for everybody because you don't know. I mean, you know, you don't know how Polk's going to be. I mean, that's, I mean, the guy's name is on the stadium. It's a guy that built the program. He's a guy that recruited Palmero and Clark and Brantley and Thigpen and others. And so, yeah, I mean, it took some time to kind of fill that out. But it's uh, after speaking with those guys individually yesterday, they love each other. It's not as simple as, okay, you know, Polk is kind of the coach emeritus. He's the legend. You know, Polk doesn't get over there and tinker or kind of get in the way. He just kind of supports Chris. And I think Chris enjoys kind of having him around. You know, not necessarily just being able to talk baseball, but just as, you know, as a man, just to have somebody around that – has a lot of wisdom. And so I think that's a big part of this is that, and I'm, I kind of mentioned to Coach yesterday, you know, about when John made the call to kind of bring him back. I said, Coach, it's almost like we brought you home so we could win the championship. That means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to you guys too. How great it is that Ron Polk was here, even though he wasn't in a dugout, but Ron Polk was engaged with our university, engaged with Mississippi State baseball. He was a friend of Crystal Monas. 
and he was here to see all this up close and personally. Wasn't over in UAB, wasn't up in the Cape. He was here. That's an amazing thing. And for a, for a lifelong Mississippi State baseball fan, that means an awful lot to me that Ron Polk was here. Really every step of the way in 2021 to see us win a national championship. It's very fitting. It's poetic in many ways. Very glad that was the case. And I'm really glad that uh, Lamona sees him you know, as an asset and an attribute. So look for those interviews. I'll get all that stuff finished up this week. And I'll keep you guys abreast of what's going on. And, and uh, one of the things I wrote about yesterday, we, I've had a lot of feedback about the, uh, the new segment, you know, sponsored by Portico, you know, by Bulldog Legends. I've got an interesting baseball story to share with you today, too, that's uh, it, going to be in the book a little more in greater detail. But I've written about some of this uh, during the quarantine. You know, so I was doing some of those diamond dog tales because, you know, we weren't playing on a ball game. So I was just trying to find some way to generate some content of interest and also kind of educate myself on some of our Mississippi State baseball history. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Good feedback about that segment. A lot of people said, you know, Steve, I like that. Good, got good top ten list today. I mentioned a band on uh, the last show, and uh, you guys lit up. Heard from several people said, hey, Steve, you got to do it. You got to do it. I'd love to hear that top ten. So we're going to do that top ten a little bit later in the show. Great show today. Kind of excited, too. I got a good night's rest, and so I got some things I want to say, and um, you know, probably not as nice as maybe some of you guys will be. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a different deal for me. You know, I just – when I was a young guy coming up in this fan base, it used to always irritate me. I felt like there weren't a lot of people fighting for Mississippi State. Now, of course, you talk to some of those old-timers, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you otherwise. But it's like sometimes these things happen in the media, and it's like nobody says anything. That's one of the things I love about the fact that Dr. Mark Keenum is our president, John Cohen, our director of athletics, is I do believe those guys fight for Mississippi State. I don't mean fight for Mississippi State, you know, and, you know, some closed-door meeting or something like that. I don't, I don't mean that. You know, we've got a brand to protect. We are the national champions in college baseball. We don't have to listen to any of that nonsense. We've made an amazing commitment to our athletic department. It's been unfor- uh, never seen before. In our, our program's history. You know, it, it's interesting, too. You know, uh, Polky tells me that uh, he was the first full-time baseball coach in the Southeastern Conference. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I didn't know that. You know, a lot of guys were basically football recruiters in addition to being college baseball coaches. He told me one particular coach at the University of Kentucky was paid $7,500 a year and then sold insurance on the side to make a living. He's a head baseball coach at Kentucky. That might explain, too, why they're the only program in the SEC to have never gone to Omaha. Maybe they just hadn't fully committed. And they have in recent years. You know, Mitch Barnhart's done a great job kind of making Kentucky somewhat relevant. You know, John did a great job up there. Uh, really pulling for Nick Mangione. Really, really, really pulling hard for them to make the regionals this year. I, I like Nick Mangione a lot, and I understand that Nick is kind of a polarizing figure. You meet some people like, oh, Nick's kind of a weird guy. Well, I'm kind of a weird guy, too. Maybe that's one of the reasons that I like him. But I respect the fact so much that Nick Mangion wanted his dream and he chased it so incredibly long and aggressively. When he was at the University of Kentucky as a volunteer assistant coach, he slept in his car and it got too cold and eventually John let him stay in the facility. And eventually he moved in, became a roommate with the Coens, making peanuts. 
because he believed in himself and he believed one day I'm going to have this opportunity. Then he comes to Mississippi State as a volunteer coach. Then, of course, when Lane leaves to take the, you know, the head coaching job, but um, they're at Northwestern State. Well, then you know, Nick gets elevated and eventually becomes the head coach in his own right. And that's the thing, too. I think when you look at this, I think about Jake Gotro too, when I think about the Nick Mingeon stuff. If you're Jake Gotro, why would you ever leave Mississippi State for a lateral move? It's like all this discussion about, you know, the Texas A&M really pursued him. And I've asked a couple people close to Jake and say, were you really worried about Jake going? You're like, nah, not really, because, you know, why would you uproot your family you know, for a year or two, when you can get, you can reach the next level from being here. He just won a national championship. He is the reigning national champion hitting coach in college baseball. Is he ready to be a head coach? Yeah, probably so. So why would you go to A&M, even for a little more money? Well, he didn't go. But think about this for a second. Think about the fact that Nick Mingeon was a John Cohen assistant coach. Think about the fact that Butch Thompson, a John Cohen assistant coach, Brad Bohannon at Alabama, a John Cohen assistant coach. I also was told that uh, John put in a big word for Tony Vitello, you know, when they were doing that search. John Cohen is a name in college baseball circles that people trust. And so if you're Jay Gotro, why not hitch your wagon to John Cohen? Because that's what the first phone call that people are going to make when they're pursuing Jay Gotro is John Cohen. Say, hey, John, listen, you've had some great success. You've produced a lot of great coaches. Is Jay Gotro ready to be a Power Five head coach? And so, wouldn't you want John Cohen's endorsement when you, when you look at his coaching tree and all the people that he's put out there? And listen, you know, Nick and Butch didn't have great years last year, but uh, you know, there's some ebb and flow with all of this. It makes perfect sense for Jack Gotro to stay. Not to mention with the team he's got coming back. You know, what if you make Omaha again for the fourth consecutive year? You don't think that looks good on a resume? Especially when everybody, there's a lot of people going to say, yeah, Mississippi State's going to be really good next year. But they don't have Tanner Allen or Rowdy Jordan. What if Jack Gotro can put this offense together and get us back to Omaha? Then all of a sudden, you kind of remove all doubt, right? At that point, you can say, well, you know, we, you know yeah, yeah, Jake Mangum. And they lose Jake Mangum, and they go back to Omaha, won an AFL championship with T.A. and Rowdy. What, what does he do now that he doesn't have Jake and, you know, he doesn't have Brent Rooker and he doesn't have, you know, J- Jordan Westberg and Justin Foscue, doesn't have all these other guys? It's because he's building other guys. You see what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, he doesn't have this guy, but he still did it without him. And then this guy, and then this guy, and then this guy. Because as long as Jake is here and as long as Lamontis is here, there are going to be more guys and more guys and more guys. There's names you don't even know yet. You know, Justin Foskey was a guy that was undrafted out of high school, and there was even some discussion even that first fall when he was here if he was even going to play much. Guy ends up being a first-round draft pick. You don't think Jake Gautreaux had something to do with that? You know, who thought when Jordan Westberg signed that he was going to be a first-round draft pick? Right? And a lot of that is a Jake Gautreaux thing. And so – I say all that to say this. It makes perfect sense to me that Jake Gotro stays because Jake Gotro is at the highest level at this point that a hidden coach could possibly be. And so why would he leave to go take a job, you know, at a place that, uh, you know, perhaps is not going to get him to Omaha or not going to win conference championships? And you can say, well, you know, Steve, everybody's got to go pay their dues a little bit. And 
Everybody's got to go out there and prove they can do it on a G5 level, and that's true. I just I don't know if Jake is in that position, though. I think Jake maybe is beyond that. Would Jake have taken the Rice job? Probably so. Probably. And Rice isn't the baseball program that it once was. And I don't know, uh, you know, what Jake wants to do long term. You know, Jake originally is, is from Texas. He's not from Louisiana. But if I'm not mistaken, his wife's family is also from Texas. So that's kind of going home, you know, go back to the state of Texas. And so that would make a little sense. But to be honest with you, I, I think Gotro is probably in the conversation for Power 5 opportunities now. A year ago, I might not have said that. I'm, you know, maybe he needed to go to a Southern Miss or, you know, or a Tulane or somewhere like that and kind of prove himself for a few years and then take the next jump. But I think now when you begin to look at the body of work and you've, you know, three consecutive trips to Omaha and now a national championship, you know, now I think maybe you start thinking, okay, maybe this is a guy that's ready to go run a, run a Power 5 program. And there's a bunch of, bunch of jobs out there that are going to be available next year. There's a good chance he gets one. And so you know, go ahead and prepare for that because Jake Gotro is going to leave at some point. That's going to have nothing to do with Mississippi State or if he's happy here or anything like that. It's going to boil down to the fact that it's just simply Jake's time. Very grateful to Jake for the things that he's done. And listen, I haven't always agreed with some of our approaches in ball games, and that's sports, right? And, and you know what? And here's the thing, too. Jake never asked me, hey, Steve, what do you think about this? Never. Never. Our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, they're going to take care of you, too. Talk about getting hits. There you go. Bulldog Burger Company. Love those guys. Love those appetizers, too. We talk about the spring rolls a lot, too. But I like the wings, too. They're a good appetizer size. Great flavor. You should go check those out. Uh, My youngest son likes the fried pickles. I think he would live on those if we'd let him. Great burgers, as always. You know, I'll tell you, the portions there are so generous. They're so substantial. You're going to get more than your money's worth when you go to Bulldog Burger Company. And that, that is almost unheard of in today's society. You know, a lot of places you go get food, and they're kind of scaling back on portions, trying to stay afloat. And I get it. It's part of business, but not Bulldog Burger Company. Nope. They're giving you exactly what they've always given you. Great service, great food at a great price. You're always going to leave a little something behind, unless you're just a big reader to me. So go check them out today. Three great locations to serve you right here, the flagship. University Drive here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in Ridgeland. That's a new one. That's the rising star. So many people have messaged me, too, said, Steve, I had never been before, but you've talked about it on the show. And so we went to the one in Ridgeland. We're blown away. Be sure to get that. A chocolate shake to go to. That's a nice dessert as you can ride that ride with a smile. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Let's get right to it. I, I, I don't first, – first thing I'd say, I, I love the SEC Network really for one reason and one reason only, is that I can watch Mississippi State play pretty much whenever I want, whether it be a baseball game or whatever. You know, the, the, what ESPN has done has been great. I don't always agree with a lot of their takes. And what they do is, you know, they got 100,000 people that work there. And so everybody is big on somebody. Somebody says something positive about some program. And so then the SID from that school retweets that ESPN's Mark Slaybaugh says this or, you know, ESPN so-and-so says this. So they've got enough talking heads out there that are saying enough that everybody can feel, hey, there's somebody at ESPN that likes us. I like the SEC Network for those reasons. But also, too, I just really want to watch a ball game. And a lot of times when I'm covering a ball game, I want to be able to DVR the ball game and then come home and watch it again because there are a lot of things that you miss by being at the ball game. 
It sounds silly to say that, but it's true. A lot of things the broadcasters have access to information that perhaps we don't get on game day. So I like to go back and watch it, especially with football. There's so much that goes on in football. You know, if you're out there shooting pictures, you, you know, either you're following the ball or keyed it on a player, and maybe something happens on the backside of a play you don't see. But one of the things that I don't like about the SEC Network, and I've been pretty vocal about this, this, this Feinbaum show is ridiculous. I know some of you like it. You like the humor in it. And, and uh, it's really, in, in, to me, I think it's an embarrassment to the league. I think it's an embarrassment to the SEC Network. And I think one of the main reasons why is that Paul Feinbaum is this agent provocateur. And what's interesting, they always say, well, you know, this is about the promotion of our schools. Okay, cool. Well, then let's promote the schools equally. And listen, I'm not sitting here trying to say when Alabama's winning big in football and, you know, state's having a tough year that we deserve equal billing. That's just not fair. That's just, and that's just not how life works. But I'm just a little tired of all the backhanded comments and the over-the-top things. And there were some ignorant comments made yesterday. And someone sent this to me because I don't watch that show. And I had somebody share this with me. And I, and I want to address this. So here is what he said about Mike Leach. I realize we just went through COVID, but I wonder how many times Mike Leach has reached out in that community that he lives in to try to develop and further the football cause. I'm willing to bet you that very few people in Stark will know Mike Leach. Now, see, there, there are opinions, and uh, there are hot takes, and then there's this. And how many people in Starkville do you think Paul Feinbaum knows? I'm just, what do you think? How many people do you think he talked to? Because I'm sure the only people that he knows in Starkville are actually probably, you know, donors, you know, people that give a lot of money. They probably see Mike Leach pretty regularly. And so... At the end of the day, what Paul Feinbaum says shouldn't matter to us. But at the same time, too, it's being broadcast on the SEC network. And so all of a sudden, you know, these truisms in the mind of Paul Feinbaum become the truth to people that don't know any better. And so I want, I want to kind of take some time to talk about that today. I'm not a Paul Feinbaum fan. I am a Mike Leach fan. I was a Mike Leach fan before he came to Mississippi State. And now that he's here doing some research, because that's the thing, too. Like the only t- if you're like me, the only time I really paid attention to Mike Leach you know, it was a press conference or a ball game that they were playing late at night. Because when they were out in the Pac-12, that was a fun thing. I mean, you can go home. That's the great thing about college football, right? We can get up in the morning, watch game day, you know, watch the Jefferson Pilot game at 11, watch football all day, and watch, you know, Pac-12 after dark. And next thing you know, man, it's you know, sometimes 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, we get a full day of football. And so I watched a lot of Washington State stuff out there because Mike Leach, obviously, is a guy that uh, loves the camera. Because the camera loves him. And so what's interesting, and I shared this on Gene's page earlier, and I think it's important that I share it with you guys too. You know, like people say, well, you know, Mike Leach this, Mike Leach that. I don't know that some people fully appreciate what Mike Leach has done in his career. I'm going to share this with you too because I think I want you to have the talking points too so whenever people at the water cooler bring up, you know, Mike Leach didn't know that. You'll have some ammunition. I think it's important to know all these things because a lot of times people, the, the information's out there. Maybe you just don't look for it. Maybe you don't have time to go look for it, and that's cool too. I, I think it's important that um, we among ourselves talk about it because what happens, all of a sudden it gets broadcast on the SEC network and everybody thinks, oh, well, this must be true. This must be true. Mike Leach really must not be any good. So... So here's what I'll say about that, because I think it's important that you guys uh, 
have access to this information if I can find it. There's so much. There's so much that happens sometimes that uh, I get I, I get a little bit lost sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. You get a little bit lost. All right, so here we are. So I don't know what you guys know about Texas Tech football. You know, Texas Tech in many ways is a lot like Mississippi State. A little bit bigger city, obviously, out there in Lubbock. But they're kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of a remote outpost, you know, in the Big 12. I mean, it's just not a lot out there. I mean, that, you know, out in West Texas, I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of tumbleweeds and things like that. But Texas Tech hadn't, hadn't really been a great football program over the years. And so to kind of illustrate that point, in the 20 – I'm going to read this. This is on Gene's page. I wrote this earlier on a message board post. In 20 years prior to Mike Leach arriving to Texas Tech, they had 10 losing seasons. 10. So every other year, you got a losing season. 
They only won more than seven games two times in 20 years. In the 10 years that Mike Leach was in Lubbock, all 10 of those are winning seasons. All 10. He won eight games or more eight times in 10 years. Since he left, they've had seven losing seasons in 11 years. Let's let that sink in for a second. Let that marinate a bit. They were bad when he got there. They were good and sometimes great when he was there. And now they're bad again. What do you think changed? I mean, the weather in Lubbock, Texas didn't change. The recruiting footprint didn't change. Oh, yeah, you change coaches. There's your impact. And we talk about sometimes in college baseball, you know, you have coaches that come along that make a program. You know, we have culture here at Mississippi State Baseball. And we talked about, you know, at LSU, you know, before Skip Burtman got there, LSU had been to one regional in their history. One. And look at what he built. You know, Maneri did some good things after. But, you know, they're, they're not the same program. You know, the commitment to baseball is still there, and they developed the brand. They're obviously better off than they were. They certainly are. But it's not the same. You, know, you look at Mike Bianco at Ole Miss. I mean, you know, listen, they didn't have a whole lot of tradition. You know, Tom Swayze had a good run there. Jay Gibbs did a couple good things there. You know, look at Kentucky. Kentucky had been to two regionals in their history before John Cohen got there, and he took them to two in the time he was there and won their only SEC championship. And so I say that, that to kind of illustrate this point with Mike Leach. You know, sometimes you get the right coach at the right time, and that was the case for Texas Tech. We all remember Michael Crabtree beating Texas. We couldn't wait for that game. I mean, they hyped it and hyped it and hyped it, and then it lived up to its billing. Arguably, Mike Leach's shiny moment, beating Texas, because Texas Tech always felt like the little brother to Texas. And they weren't even the big little brother. You know, they were the runt. You know, because, you know, the Longhorns saw A&M as their, their true rival. You know, Texas Tech, you know, kind of saw themselves, you know, way down in the pack. And then Texas Tech beats Texas, number one Texas on national television. It's an incredible moment in college football. Prior to Mike Leach getting to Washington State, Mike Price had a pretty good run there. Really the only big run. Before Mike Price got there, Washington State had been to a total of four bowl games in their history. Nearly 100 years, four bowl games. And Price does a good job, and of course Price gets a job at Alabama, and then you kind of know the rest of the story. You can Google the details on that. But the two guys in between Price and Leach, uh, Boba and Wolf, if I'm not mistaken, they put together one winning season in nine years, and that was the year after Price left. So you had some residual culture carryover from the Mike Price years, and they have a pretty good year, and then it falls apart. And so by the time that Leach takes over there in Pullman, all the good tidings and all the, the good culture stuff under the Price administration is gone. It's been nearly a decade. I think in the last four years, if I'm not mistaken, I think that Washington State, in the last four years of the Paul Wolf era, won eight games in four years combined. And four of those in the last year. I think they were two, one, two wins, one win, maybe nine wins. 
My point being is it was it was futility out there. Took Leach a couple years to kind of get his things going. He was in a bowl game in year two. But five years. He closed out his era, five straight bowl games. And remember, this is a, the program that only had four in their history before Mike Price got there. In 18, they won a school record 11 games and nearly make the playoffs. If they beat Washington that year, they make the playoff. One went away in a rivalry game at Washington State of making the FBS playoff. I don't know if you guys know this. Washington State has the lowest athletic budget in the Power Five. When Mike Leach and his crew were there a couple years ago, the recruiting department was Brittany Thackeray and Dave Emmerich. End of list. That's it. All of a sudden they get here, we got a recruiting team in place. They thought they'd died and gone to heaven. And so when I see and hear all these things, oh, you know, Mike Leach did this, Mike Leach did that, I, I kind of laugh to myself. You guys saw all the video of Mike Leach being at the Shoba County Fair? Guys, he had a speaking engagement that night, and he didn't want to leave the Neshoba County Fair because of the novelty of it all. It's something we all take for granted sometimes. Neshoba County Fair is awesome. I don't know that I could go every year. But it is something that's very unique to our state. People love it. Leach had never experienced it. Every time I look up, I see a, you know, a picture or on Facebook or on Twitter you know, where Coach Leach is down at uh, WTF. Getting to play lunch. Or he's at this restaurant or that restaurant. I've seen Mike Leach all over Starkville. Those are the things I just think, you know, people act like that Mike Leach just sits in some ivory tower somewhere and doesn't get out here and, and you, know, you know, congregate with the commoners. That's just not true. Mike is more like us than people realize. Mike Leach is a guy that grew up in Cody, Wyoming. Just like small-town Mississippi. His dad worked for the Forestry Service. He wasn't a person of privilege. They say, oh, you know, he's got a place in Key West. He's earned that. He's made a lot of money, been very frugal with his money, bought himself a place in Key West when he was out of coaching, moved down there and said, hey, listen, that's where I'm going to go be. And he did. And it's not like he's running our football program remotely over Zoom through Key West. Hey, you know when the building was closed down? Yeah, he's down there. Well, and wouldn't you be? If you had a place in Key West and you're not even allowed in your building, in your office, and you can't interact with your players, yeah, I'd be at Key West too. I'd be there right now if you let me. And so people say and do these things and they're untrue. And I don't think we can allow them to go unchallenged. Yeah, every time I turn around, I'm running into somebody that met Coach Mike Leach for the first time. You're like, oh, he's so different than I thought he would be. You know, I've had a chance to sit down, meet with Mike on multiple occasions. I've never at any time ever felt like he was in a rush to get me out of there, ever. One time we had a conversation, and I was supposed to interview him for an article for uh, Gene's page. And so he texts me and he goes, hey, Steve, I know you're a night owl like me. Can we talk at 1030? I said, sure. That's about the time I get done with chat anyway over on Gene's page. So sure. So get him on the phone about 1040. And then he talked to about 1230. And most of it wasn't even about football or Mississippi State or evaluating quarterbacks. 
you know, Mike's a guy that is pretty well-rounded. He can talk about anything. He wanted to talk about writing books. He wanted to know what my experience had been like and what, where I drew inspiration from. He talked about, you know, the Apache Indians and how they used to navigate through the mountains and the advantages they found from, you know, kind of being Pueblo dwellers and things like that. And, and you know, it's, it's remarkable the things that he knows. And I even asked him before, I said, how in the world did you get Geronimo's birth certificate? When it's just a copy. But it's just crazy to think, you know, all the things that he's involved in. And he loves visiting with all of us when he gets a chance. I mean, you know, there's obviously he's got to go run a football program too. But he enjoys being one of the guys and having a chance to just kind of talk a little bit. And listen, he loves football. We talked recently about, you know, how many you know, lawyers there were that were college football coaches, and there are, there are very few. You know, Derek Dilley, of course, was one. He was also his own agent. And so it's not a situation where you say, oh, you know, Steve, you're just defending the Mississippi State guy. You know, I think Mike Leach has been unfairly maligned by a lot of people. You know, if you've read Swing Your Sword, you can read all the details behind that Adam James stuff. And in, in the very end of the book, you can read some of the actual uh, transcripts of the depositions and that sort of stuff. And they admit they made a lot of that stuff up. A lot of it was just, you know, out of resentment and bitterness. And I don't think that a lot of people have moved on from that. I think there are a lot of people in the media because Mike doesn't kowtow to what they think a college coach should be, that they see him as an enemy. You know, he got into it with Dan Walken several years ago and started calling Dan Big Gulp Dan. You know, I know Dan Walken's kind of a polarizing figure too. You know, probably got it, puts too much of his own personal politics in his reporting. It's probably true. But, you know, Dan's been around a few years, to say the least. I thought Dan you know, did a really good job through the uh, – the old Miss Hugh Freeze type deal. I think he was one of the only people out there that was really pursuing the truth. You can say, oh, well, he's agenda-driven. Maybe he is. But he worked hard to break a lot of news when a lot of other people in this state were content to bury their heads in the sand. But, you know, everybody has their own experiences. But it irritates me that some people think that Mike Leach should just be their, their punching bag. You know, what's he done to deserve that? Just because, you know, like the comment the other day, I guess it was John Sokoloff that, hey, do you guys use that uh, last place predicted finish by the SEC media? And he goes, I don't, I don't ask those guys' opinions on anything. I don't think I'd start with that. Now, I'm sure there's some people in the media, they would kind of have their feathers ruffled about that. I'm not so sensitive when it comes to that sort of thing. And I say that to say this. You know, if you guys knew what a joke a lot of this voting was, we talked about that after Omaha, why should anybody take that seriously? Oh, they're pick number one. Oh, they're pick seventh. They're pick sixth. How many practices do you think those guys have attended? How many Mississippi State games do you think they watched? How many Arkansas games do you think they watched? And so you take all that with a grain of salt. I, I, don't, I don't put any, any credence whatsoever in the preseason picks. You know, it's just like, it's so funny we get halfway through the year and you look back and people even forget. You know, like, I think Georgia's going to win the East and probably win the SEC. But a lot changes over the course of a season. It just does. We might look back you know, a couple months from now and say, man, we were wrong about this. You know, what if Missouri gets hot? People say, oh, Steve, come on. What if they do? I think they're going to be a factor in the SEC East race. I don't think they're going to win it. I think they're going to beat somebody else and cause them to lose it, though. 
might look back two months from now and say, man, what in the world was I thinking? Well, he got a drink with some Missouri. And so I just, you know, I agree with Leach about all that. What, what is, who cares what we're picked? When we won the West in 98, we're picked dead last, and then we won the West. There have been some other years we've been picked high and we didn't do so well. But I don't buy into this whole self-loathing Mississippi State thing as, oh, we never do good and we're picked well. That's not true. It's not true. Because we were in college baseball this year, we were a preseason top ten team and we won an AFL championship. Let's go ahead and just kind of set that aside. But it bothers me. And maybe bother is not the right word. It irritates me more than anything else. It just irritates me. You know, Mike Leach is out here. You know, spend a lot of time, you know, with the, with the fans, being cordial, never acts like he's too good for anybody. He has let us come to every football practice this year. Everyone. Answers all of our questions, never acts like he's in a hurry. And a lot of times after he's done, there's, there's things he wants to talk about too. And we'll walk across the field or whatever, and, you know, he'll ask about this or about that, or, hey, have you seen this? You know. You know, when Dan Mullen was here, and, I, and, and again, I'm not going to throw shade at Dan because I'm very grateful to Dan for what he did when he was here at Mississippi State. But sometimes Dan would go to dog talk or Dan would go to these events, and the first thing he would do as soon as it was over is he would grab his phone and hold it up to his ear whether he had a call or not because he was ready to get out of there. And, and Dan's a workaholic too. You know, and, and, but, you know, Dan, you know, hobnobbing with our fans – wasn't necessarily a strong suit. He just wasn't. You know, when Joe was here, Joe was probably a little bit too much the other way. But Joe was very approachable. Joe Moorhead is a great man. He really is. Didn't work out for him here. He didn't win enough football games. But I don't think anybody could say anything negative about Joe Moorhead's character or his willingness to be a man of the people. But Leach is a lot more like Joe in that respect. He's very eccentric, obviously, but, you know, I've never, ever got the sense that Mike Leach thinks he's better than anybody. Now, does he want to go out there and beat your tail on the football field? He absolutely does. Very competitive guy. But some of these comments, I read these things, and I just kind of think to myself, this makes no sense whatsoever. He's been very engaging, accommodating to the media. And, you know, it had been really easy last year, you know, for Mike Leach to say, hey, listen, I don't want any of my guys to talk. But he made all of his assistant coaches available to us. There's, a, there's some schools in the league, like Alabama, namely. You know, Nick Saban is the voice of Alabama football. The assistant coaches there don't do media. Mike's been like, okay, whatever. You know, last year in season, they were a little bit selective about who they let talk. And a lot of it's because you just don't want – you don't want a lot of those freshmen or newcomers to get a lot of media attention early on because you don't know how they're going to handle it. Hey, this camp, he's let us talk to whoever we want to talk to. It's just not the case. Yeah, I don't think you guys fully appreciate that. They're, like at LSU, when I was there, they pick who you talk to. They pick the select players. So let's say, for an example, you may want to write a feature story on this guy. It's almost an act of Congress to get those things done. They would pick. Mike Leach has done podcasts for some of our fans. Not just, you know, going on you know ESPN or the Car Wash or whatever, or, you know, first take or any kind of stuff or a lot of people that go do the national stuff just you know because they think it's good for their brand and you know what god bless them but mike leach has done all the radio shows done every interview and even done some of these smaller podcasts because mike leach doesn't think those things or those people are beneath him so how is that that not being a man of the people 
Last weekend, we're getting ready to have the scrimmage game. Mike Leach made sure we had somewhere to sit. Work with Brenda Langlois. Made sure the media had it. Because how many times in the past have we been able to go watch a fall scrimmage? We've been able to watch a spring, but not the fall. We got a good chance to watch them scrimmage in Davis Wade Stadium. Mike Leach made that happen for us. And then after it's over, we're hot, but you know coaching the players are even more hot, right? But rather than run down there and do the media opportunity, what does he do? He goes up and thanks the guys from the Mississippi Beef Council. Makes a beeline off the field to go tell those people thank you. Nobody told him to do that. There weren't any cameras rolling. Nobody took any pictures. Leach didn't ask for a selfie so he could tweet it out and say, hey, look what a good guy I am. He just went and did it. It impressed me because I'm thinking, well, where, where did he go? I'm, we're sitting there ready to do the interviews, and all of a sudden, before he gets to us, he takes a ride, and he goes up there. And he didn't just go up there and shake their hands and say thank. He hung out for a few minutes. Nobody asked him to do that. He wasn't required to do that. He didn't make any money doing that. He did that out of the goodness of his heart because that's who he is. That kind of stuff is just crazy to me. Then they have the, you know, the donuts and the cookies and that stuff, you know, to our first responders during COVID. Mike Leach didn't tweet that out. They tweeted that out. Mike Leach pays and has this stuff delivered and dropped off. Starville Police Department, Fire Department tweets out, hey, Mike Leach, thanks for the, the cookies today. Thanks for breakfast today. Mike didn't do that for a photo opportunity. You know, I got a kid in the Starkville School District. Mike Leach is gone, hung out with those people too. Been very accommodating to them. You don't see a lot of pictures on it. You know, there are a lot of people that do things just so you guys say, aw, look how great that is. You know, I remember it wasn't too long ago, you know, there was a coach in this state, you know, they couldn't do anything. I mean, couldn't go put a buggy in their, you know, back in the shopping cart rack without tweeting about it. Just got done cleaning up carts out here at the Walmart. You know, there are a lot of people that do things that are good out of the goodness of their heart, not looking, you know, to get a plug in on social media. And that's Mike Leach because he didn't care about that sort of stuff. You know, I don't know the man's heart, but I can only share with you my experiences. And so you guys got a good man as your head football coach. Is he a little bit silly? Yeah, he is. And ultimately, he'll be judged on his ability to win football games. It's not going to be about how many, you know, breakfast meals he has delivered from, uh, you know, some local bakery to first responders. But the fact that a guy making $5 million a year, a guy with his national profile, would say, you know what, let's do something good for these people here in our community. Signs every autograph, takes every picture, and yet Paul Feinbaum's going to get on national television and say, I wonder, you know what, Paul, maybe do some research. How about that? Next segment of the show brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler has been a friend of mine for a long time. I don't do business with people that I don't trust, and neither should you. But sometimes you don't know who to trust when you're beginning to embark on a new endeavor. And maybe buying your first home is one of those things. You said, you know what, I just, we just can't do it. We dream of home ownership. We just don't know if we can do it. And so you get on that hamster wheel of renting. 
you're just throwing your money away. You know, it's like, yeah, I got somewhere to live, but you know, I'm not building any equity. And when I leave here, probably not going to get to bring my deposit with me either. Why not put your money to work for you, building an asset, leaving something for your children? Buy a home. Blair can help you with that. And he's not just some fly-by-night guy working at some subprime lender, okay? Blair Chandler works for Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five mortgage lenders in America. Blair not only is one of the top originators for Fairway, he's in the top 1% in the country. And here's the thing. He loves you guys, too. So because you're a Boneyard listener, when you call or email, if you mention you heard this ad on a Boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal, right? So that's one less expense that comes out of your pocket. There's a lot to navigate in the mortgage business. Work with a professional. Blair Chandler, 21 years of experience. A guy that's a Mississippi State guy, season ticket holder, has a place up here. Blair's a great guy. will do a great job for you. It can be an intimidating process, so work with somebody who has been there. Let me share you Blair's number, and feel free to share this one. Again, that's closewithblair.com. That's B-L-A-I-R.com. Close with Blair. Blair's phone number, 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. If you didn't get all that, message me. I'm happy to send it to you. And again, the fact that he's willing to pay for your appraisal, which run, they run about 300 bucks, that's a pretty good deal right there. So right out of the gate, he's showing you how much you want your business. Give your business to Bulldogs whenever you can. That's closewithblair.com. Today's top 10 list. I mentioned NXS the other day on the show, and you guys lit up. I guess you'd think, oh, well, Steve doesn't know anything about NXS. You're wrong. See, I love how you guys put me in a box. You know, you see the hair and the tattoos. You think, oh, yeah, well, he, you know, he only knows this or he knows that. You forget the fact that I was also, uh, you know, part of a, a dance group in the early 90s. And, you, you know, we could talk about that stuff, too. I had somebody reach out and say, Steve, do you remember? We used to call it bing bong. We call it house music. But I know exactly what you mean. I was part of that scene, man. Loved it. I can still dance. You guys know this. But NXS is one of those bands I've always had a a tremendous amount of respect for. They actually started in the 1970s. They rose to prominence, of course, in the mid-80s and really lasted, you know, deep into the late 90s when Michael Hutchins died. Michael Hutchins, an incredible lyricist and a beautiful man. But, man, he had some demons. He absolutely did. And it's, it's amazing, too, when I think about, you know, we talk about tragic heroes and they all have a tragic flaw. That's who Michael Hutchins was. This is a guy who was an incredible talent, a great, great songwriter. The guy had incredible hair. I think everybody aspired to have that hair. But uh, Michael was a guy, too, that uh, I'll share with you a brief story before we get in the top ten list. It's so Michael Hutchins got involved with uh, Sir Bob Geldof's wife. Paula Yates, who was a TV producer there in, uh, in England. And uh, so those of you who don't know Bob Geldof, Bob was from the Boomtown Rats and uh, the driving force behind Live Aid. If you've seen Bohemian, Raps- Bohemian Rhapsody, when Queen plays the big live show at the end at Live Aid, that was Geldof's baby, you know, trying to help you know, people in Africa. And so Geldof is considered, you know, a real hero across the way incredible music producer but anyway so michael hutchins has the affair with paula they eventually have a child together named tiger lily well then michael hutchins died in 1997 they believe it may have been an accidental death but he was uh, he was an addict 
And that's the thing when you live that lifestyle, you know, sometimes it is accidental, sometimes it's not. You know, the, the grips of depression can pull you down. And so Hutchins died in 97, and then Paula died of a heroin overdose in 2000. And the rumor was is that when she went to view his body at the funeral home, that she slipped some heroin into his pocket. That's how toxic the relationship was. And so now Tiger Lily has lost her father and her mother in a period of three years. And despite the fact that she was the product of an extramarital affair, Sir Bob Geldof adopted her so she could be with her sisters because Bob and Paula had children too. And I think that says a lot about Bob Geldof because, yeah, listen, Tiger Lily didn't ask for any of trouble. But a lot of that craziness and pain and sometimes the celebration of life came through in the music of NXS. So here's your honorable mentions. Listen like thieves, beautiful girl, disappear, don't change. And the one that didn't make the list that was really close was Taste It, one of the last big songs uh, from NXS. Number 10 on your list is actually the last big single they had in the United States, Elegantly Wasted. I actually love the title. You could tell Michael's voice wasn't quite what it once was, but it's still a really, really good song. Number nine, Pretty Vegas. This this was a big hit for them, probably should have been bigger. You know, these guys sold 75 million records worldwide. 75 million. I mean, just think about that for a second. Even as crazy as the record industry is, there's a time there like new artists make like 18 points on a record. And so, which translates basically to, you know, roughly a quarter for every record sold. I mean, there's just not much margin for the artist in that there's so many people invested in these bands. And so even with that, you begin to think, you know, if you make a quarter on every dollar, 75 million records sold, that's a lot of cheese, man, a ton. But Pretty Vegas was part of that. Number eight, a song, probably an underappreciated song in the NXS catalog. And it's off the Lost Boys soundtrack. If you don't know the Lost Boys movie, go watch it on Netflix today. It is one of the greatest movies of the 80s. I was in love with Jamie Gertz. Oh, my gosh, was I in love with Jamie Gertz. Fell in love with her then, probably still in love with her now. Love Jamie Gertz. So the song on there, one of the only really original songs on that soundtrack was this NXS song called Good Times with Jimmy Barnes. Now, you may not know this. Jimmy Barnes is huge in Australia, which is where NXS is from. Jimmy Barnes, one of the best-selling artists of all time in Australia. He had a band in the... uh, late 70s early 80s called cold chisel pretty cool band check it out if you hadn't already and 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 the production value on those albums are not great but you know jimmy barnes didn't wasn't just some new artist just kind of coming out of nowhere he was a guy obviously that nxs knew well i really like that song a lot you're gonna have a good time tonight rock and roll music gonna stay all night Going to play all night, excuse me. Number seven, and this is a video, too, that really kind of put NXS over the top. It was the lead single off their monstrous album, Kick. It's Need You Tonight, because I'm not sleeping. And uh, it, it's actually a two-part song. It goes from Need You Tonight and then to Mediate. And uh, it was kind of a take on the old Bob Dylan video, you know, where they just, you know, had the, all the lyrics are on the, the cards. The video is, is pretty simple, but it, it won a lot of awards. The song is incredible, though. Number six, and this is off the uh, Welcome to Wherever You Are album, if I'm not mistaken. It's Not Enough Time. I love the song. 
That's big-time stuff for the two of us. Number five, this one was a little bit controversial. I remember when, like, kids in Mississippi wore these NXS shirts that said devil inside. Like, people began to shun them a little bit, and it was really just because they liked this band. It, it wasn't a confession. They were just, you know, fans of NXS. And they maybe went to a show or they went to Spencer Music or they went to Camelot or whatever, and, and they are Spencer's gifts, and they bought the shirt, and then people begin to judge them. Well, why would they wear that? They must be a Satanist or a devil worshiper or something, you know. It's not always that serious. I, I, I could preach about that for a while, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. We're going to get through the top ten list. But I remember seeing that. I remember seeing some kids in North Park Mall wearing those shirts, and I remember the way that some people reacted over a shirt of a band, of a pop band. It wasn't even like it was Metallica or Merciful Fate or Slayer. It was in excess. Get the net, Betty. All right, number four off the album X, probably the biggest single off this album is Suicide Blind. And um, there are a lot of bands that try to put horns into their music and it doesn't work. Well, it absolutely worked for NXS, and I think the best example of that is Suicide Blind. And I know, listen, I know a lot of that was synth-driven. They also had an incredible saxophone player as part of the band. They just did a tremendous job. But Suicide Blind, I had heard it one time that it was about, um, oh, what's her name? Claudia Schiffer. I'd heard that. Don't know if that's true. You could probably do the research and find that on Wikipedia, but I heard at one point it was about Claudia Schiffer, the former guest model. Uh, number three, this is really the one that started it off for NXS in America, and it's a great song called What You Need. I remember where I was the first time I heard this. I was in a Pizza Hut, or maybe not. Yeah, it was a Pizza Hut. No, what? It was Mazio's Pizza right there off of North Park, North Park Mall. You know what I'm talking about, the little out parcel there, Mazio's Pizza, where I was. And uh, they were playing this, and I was like, what is, what is this? Who is this? This is different than anything else that I've heard. And it's kind of silly that I say I remember where I was, and i got to figure out which pizza joint it was. But, um, but be that as it may, this is a great song, and it really kind of changed how I viewed pop music because I was so anti-pop. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, the preps, I'll listen to that, so I'm not going to listen to that. But then when this song came out, it was like, it was kind of okay to like this. So what you need great tune number two i love the opening riff of this song and it just kind of makes you happy and that's the thing there's there's music for every mood when i put this on it always makes me happy and i listen to in excess a lot here uh, on some road trips here as of late but number two is new sensation i love the percussion on this i love how they mic the drums and so you've got this deep bass driving background and then you've got this playful little guitar riff to go over the top of it. I think the composition is incredible. But number one, and I don't think there's any question. You may feel differently. I think it's the greatest love song of my generation. And it's never tear us apart. And if I, if I look like Michael Hutchins in that video, you, you wouldn't see me. I, I would, like if I saw you in the club, I, like I didn't even know you. An incredible song. I think it's written from the heart. And um, I believe of my generation, never tear us apart from NXS is the best love song. And I'm a sucker for sad love songs, but this is not. This is like a bona fide, real true love song. It's not some lover's lament thing. So never tear us apart. There you go. There's your top 10 list. NXS. I mean, I thought that was coming, but uh, I dig NXS. 
Depeche Mode, Duran Duran, all those bands. It's not just, you know, heavy metal for me, contrary to popular belief. But in excess, again, a huge band. Michael Hutchins gone far too soon. Next segment of the show will be the opponent's preview brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Longtime sponsors of the show, man. I love those guys. Man, they treat you like family when you go in there. And it's not just me. They treat everybody well. They might treat me a little bit better than they do you because I'm in there a little more often. They know me a little bit better. But Stan and Miss Kathy Brown, a lovely, talented Susie who gets lovelier by the day. Cheyenne, Cindy, the whole crew, everybody down there will take care of you. Go in, tell them that I sent you. If you can't make it to town to go see their smiling faces, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Mom, kids are back in school. They're going to be having the, uh, you know, wear your jersey to school Fridays in some school districts. Go ahead and take care of your kids. Go and get that knocked out so you're not kind of scrambling there at the last minute. Oh, what are we going to do? Take care of it now. Let's be proactive. Go ahead and order some jerseys today from campusbookmart.net. Again, promo code BSR. Let's take a little bit, talk some football here. All right, you know, we've already talked about three of the four non-conference games. You know, we're going to open off with Louisiana Tech, and we're going to get NC State here, and then we're going to go to Memphis, and then we're going to get LSU here. Now, you remember last year we kind of kicked LSU around their own stadium, so they're, you know, they're not going to be uh, overlooking us by any stretch of the imagination. LSU probably playing Fred Orgeron's job. I think that's pro- probably fair to say. And here's the thing, too, and uh, we've had some discussions over on Gene's page about this. So LSU is in trouble as an athletic department. You know, there's only, I think, about three football allegations. We haven't seen a notice of allegations yet. Supposedly that is coming in the weeks ahead. I don't understand why it takes so long to get things done. I don't, I know people, oh, we want to be be thorough. And I, I get that too. I get that you want to be thorough. But I think me and you and maybe a couple buddies, you know, maybe we, you know, we order, uh, order a couple pizzas and we sit down and we can kind of map out a game plan here. Okay, you're going to interview this person and then we'll get back and compare notes. And we could probably get this thing wrapped up in a couple weeks. Just, yeah, my personal opinion. I don't know why it takes so long. And they, and they put all this stuff in place. We're, we're going to have this, you know, the complex case unit. We're going to do all this stuff. And it's all window dressing. Here's the deal, NCAA folks. When people break the rules, sanction them. Simple as that. And here's the thing. If you find out they broke this rule, go ahead and ding them. And then if something else happens, ding them again. And then again. And then again. And you know what? People will stop breaking rules. But when you do this stuff and these long, drawn-out investigations and that sort of stuff, and you just kind of like we saw with the Ole Miss thing, and to be fair to Ole Miss, that thing went on far too long. Far too long. Now, it's a Mississippi State guy, you look at it, you say, you know, listen, hey, man, the longer they're under that dark cloud, the better for us. And people forget Ole Miss hadn't had a winning season since 2015. So, yeah, the scholarship limitations against Ole Miss were, were, were not right, but they've suffered. I mean, so anybody that says, oh, that, you know, they've got to slap on the wrist, you know, sometimes the investigation's worse than the actual penalties. Cost them a coach, national shame. And to be fair, you know, what's happened at LSU – in many respects, is worse than what happened at Ole Miss. You know, of course, we're a little more acutely aware of what happens at Ole Miss because we share a state with them. But a lot of the stuff that goes on with LSU is so egregious. You just wonder, okay, 
how is this all going to work? How do you unpack all this? You remember when you know, Will Wade was suspended and then they reinstated him and they renegotiated his contract. And part of his new contract, if, I'm, if my reading is correct, says that if he is charged with love one violation, that LSU didn't have to pay his buyout. So, yeah, LSU lets him come back, but they renegotiate the deal and say, okay, well, here, this gives us an escape clause from you, know, from you getting a golden parachute if uh, this uh, sweet you-know-what offer business comes to light. And that's the thing that I kind of laugh about all this. You got a guy on federal wiretaps admitting this, and he's still coaching. There's something wrong with the system. And you can say, well, you know, they, they're entitled to due process. Well, Guys, he admitted it. He admits it. So I don't get it. Somebody explained it to me. So the football stuff and most of the things that are alleged about LSU football, you know, are really about the Title IX stuff and the Department of Education stuff. And so there's not going to be major sanctions for LSU football. They've already they took a bowl ban last year, which shows that they understand that these, uh, you know, these allegations against them are pretty serious. But really this is about kind of bringing these cases together to justify a lack of institutional control penalty. That's what that's about. You know, they had argued to have the cases separated, and the NCAA denied the request. It's because the allegations against football that are a violation of NCAA bylaws are just not as serious as they are in basketball, at least what we know. There was some information that leaked out last week that LSU has uh, as many allegations with as many as 13 different recruits in basketball. So I expect LSU basketball to get hammered. I don't think LSU football will get hammered. But I do think Ed Orgeron needs a big year this year. Now, they're recruiting well. There's no doubt about it. But let's get to know the Tigers a little bit better. You and I both know they're going to be coming at us pretty hard, as you guys know it. And I'm not scared of them, though. You and I both know they're not going to play uh, man-to-man coverage against us this year. <laughs> not a chance in the world. All right, let's look at this offense. Uh, you know, the son of Brad Johnson is going to be the quarterback. You know, Miles Brennan, of course. Uh, and listen, I know a lot of people have kind of been unfairly critical of Miles Brennan. I, I'm a Miles Brennan fan. I mean, I really am. And I wish the kid the best. You know, he's bided his time. He, he's waited for his opportunity there. And, uh, you know, and he's been injured the last couple of years. And uh, Miles, wish you the best, man. I really do. So, Max Johnson's going to be the guy. You know, it was the thing last year people were saying, you know, oh, Max Johnson should probably transfer. He's never going to play at LSU. And then due to some other transfers and injuries and that sort of stuff, now Max Johnson's a guy, the son of Brad Johnson, former NFL quarterback. But what's interesting about all of this, you know, with Max is that this is a guy that was born to play quarterback. Now, a lot of the setback last year, as you guys know, wasn't as much to do with personnel or quarterbacks. It had to do with the fact that Brady was gone. You know, the, he's a wonder kind. And I was thinking, oh, we're not going to miss a beat, you know, because we still got Steve Insminger. And listen, Insminger, a great guy, really, an LSU Tiger to his core. But he wasn't the genius behind that offense. And Joe Burrow, a guy that had one of the greatest college football seasons in the history of the game, he's gone. You got all these receivers that are gone. Still had a bunch. They recruited exceptionally well, obviously. 
But you know, we knew, we all talked about this last year, so they were going to take a step back, and they were worse than we expected. Can they turn it around this year? You know, help having a quarterback certainly helps. But I thought they had some last year. I just think they, I don't think they could coach them. You know, Max Johnson last year, you know, threw for over 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns and just one interception. Had a really good game against Ole Miss, which everybody did. Uh, 435 yards passing, three touchdowns. And the LSU defense uh, makes a play late to win that thing. But, you know, they're still going to have wide receivers. You know, it's like, oh, you know, well, Terrace Marshall is gone. It's true. You know, but they still got a bunch of guys. Jeray Jenkins is a guy last year that was, I thought was really good, especially in the vertical passing game. He'll be back. Kashawn uh, Boutte is a guy that was a leading receiver last year, 735 yards. So, that you know, it's like the names change, but the talent and ability doesn't. You know, they have recruited wide receivers, and the state of Louisiana has – has produced a lot. Either they even talked to my league neighbors is going to get a chance to play wide receiver this year. Former Mississippi State commitment league neighbors, so they're going to be able to throw it around a little bit. I don't know if they're going to be able to run it the way they have in years past. You know, we'll see. And that's the thing. Ted Ors runs a guy too that you know really likes to run the football. He wants to kind of physically dominate the opponent. Just don't know. John Emery, former Mississippi State target, he was a guy that was pretty decent last year, but um, yeah. They, Guys, they just didn't run the football with any authority last year. And a lot of that had to do with they got behind. They got behind and had to kind of get away from what they wanted to do, which made them rather one-dimensional on offense. Dare Rosenthal is a guy that uh, came to the Brookhaven football combine that I put on down there a few years back. This guy's expected to be a big-time player. He's gone. And he was in a doghouse a lot last year anyway. You know, so they kind of learned to play without him. But listen, this is not the LSU that it has been. It's probably going to be a lot closer to what they were last year, to be quite honest with you. And down the stretch, they did some big things. There's no, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Defensively, they'll be good. They always seem to have linebackers. You know, that, but that was kind of the joke last year, around this time last year, when Ed Orgeron said, hey, we're not going to miss a beat with Dave Aranda being gone. Well, they did. They did. They went out there and hired Bo Pelini um, and – it was incredible how bad they were defensively early in the year. They got some things figured out late, but, you know, yeah, they miss Dave Aranda. And that's the thing, too, you begin to think about. We've experienced some of this stuff, too, is, you know, three defensive coordinators in three seasons. You know, you like to have some continuity. You like to have some things kind of carry over. You know, obviously the big star on defense is Derek Stingley. Didn't play against us last year. Remember he had some allergic reaction or something, and everybody thought it was COVID. It wasn't. But this is a guy that's going to be probably a first-round draft pick this year. A guy that, that had a pick against us last year, if I remember this correctly, but we picked on him a lot, was Eli Ricks. Uh, I just, I'm just not quite sold on him. But athletically, they're going to be really, really good. Really, really good. Durante Jones, new defensive coordinator. We'll see how things go with there. He's a guy that uh, has got a pedigree of coaching defensive backs. And they were awful last year. Guys, their secondary last year allowed 323 yards per game. That's 115th in the country. It's crazy. Uh, safeties, a little bit of a question mark there. Todd Harris, a guy at Mississippi State, recruited for a while. Um, didn't work out, though. And that's the thing about recruiting Louisiana kids is LSU kind of recruits the rest of the country, and then when they kind of miss on some guys, they'll come back and get the better players in Louisiana they didn't get the first time. 
you know, there's a lot of discussion, you know, about, um, you know, Jay Ward last year. And he was a guy that looked awful against Mississippi State. Awful. Absolutely awful. Uh, they lose uh, a lot of guys on that front, too. That's the thing. Um, you know, they're, that's Ed Orgeron's bread and butter, though, is coaching defensive line. They're going to be good up front as long as Ed is there. It may not always be dominant, but they're going to be good. So I'm just kind of eager to see, you know, what happens. Linebacker has been really strong for them. They get the big transfer, Mike Jones from Clemson. That's a big get for them. Jabril Cox is a guy that really played well against us, and uh, he's moved on. So it should be a pretty decent front seven because they always are able to kind of recruit, do a good job there. And uh, former Mississippi State commitment Devonta Q. Strong will be there as well. I'm eager to see how he plays. I'm kind of glad we get him early before they kind of get things rolling. You know, we'll see how things progress with them. But, uh, again, getting them early is kind of a recipe for success in many respects because when we've had to play them late, when they figured out who they are and kind of developed an identity, sometimes it's been difficult for us. And uh, what's interesting is that I see them rank so high. And it's almost like, well, you know, let's just go here and pick LSU. You know, I just don't know if that's fair. Just don't know if that's the way to go. Do I expect LSU to be better than they were last year? Not really. I think they're going to be about the same. But they'll benefit from playing, you know, a non-conference schedule this year. They were 5-5 five and five last year. 5-5. Five and five. Let's run down the schedule last year. They lose to us 44-34. What a great day it was. The greatest moment in K.J. Costello's life. He will now become the obscure answer to a trivia question. Who holds a single season, excuse me, single game SEC passing record? Oh, it's K.J. Costello. Had one good game in his entire career at Mississippi State. Uh, then they go on the road and blast Vanderbilt 41-7 and then lose at Mizzou 45-41. That's when you really knew that defense was in trouble. They tried to convince themselves that you know, the, the, it was an anomaly. That State just kind of caught them early and they hadn't had a chance to see Mike Leach and that sort of stuff. And they just, you know, they kind of got blindsided a little bit. And then Missouri went up there and did some of the same things. But what was more impressive is how they ran the football at LSU. They knew they were in trouble. They bounced back and they beat South Carolina 52-24, one of the final games of Will Muschamp's uh, career there in Columbia. And who didn't see that coming, right, with Muschamp? My goodness, that guy must be an incredible interview. They go to Auburn, and I thought they had a chance to kind of right the ship, and then Auburn absolutely destroyed them, 48-11. to That's when everybody that was still on the bandwagon got off. Everybody on the P-Rogue got wet. LSU absolutely torched in this ball game. Look at some numbers real quick here, too, just to kind of illustrate – how it was 506 yards for Auburn 506 on 70 plays they only punted five times that's a lot of yards no question about it and that's a proud defense it's what LSU's kind of built their brand on is defense so they get through that bloodletting on the Plains, and then they go to Arkansas, win that ball game 27-24. They lose at A&M 20-7. Competitive game, though. They got a little bit better defensively. And then they go play Alabama, and they get beat 55-17. to And, guys, you know it before I even say it. 
If Saban would have wanted to score 100 in that ball game, they absolutely could have. There was no question who the better team was. And I don't think the folks at Alabama forgot about the whole roll tide FU thing. All right, so then they go down the stretch and they go into the swamp when everybody's expecting Orgeron to get fired at the season's end and they beat Dan Mullen. And we listen, we all saw it coming a mile away because we know Dan, right? Dan always seems to lose a ball, a big ball game that he's supposed to win. And then they beat Ole Miss 53-48. So they're three and five with two games to go. And rally the troops like Orgeron can. He's a guy that coaches on emotion. And they go win the last two. But I don't buy this top 16 thing. I, I, I don't. I, I mean, listen, I think Max Johnson's going to be better. You know, I think he'll give you some continuity at quarterback. And, and that, that him joining the starting lineup kind of coincided with that late run, right? And so look at their schedule here, too. They go to UCLA. UCLA has not been good. LSU should win that ball game. They come home, play McNeese, and they play Central Michigan. So they, will, they should be 3-0 and when they come to Starkville. We should be no worse than two and one. We could be three and zero. We should be no worse than two and one. So this will be a ball game too. Could be could be a night game. I would love I love night games in September. And then they host Auburn because they get the uh, they get the fun of that Tiger game. That, that that used to be one of the better you know series in the conference, and uh, it has been in recent years too. You know, but uh, it used to be a game I always made a point to watch. Then they go to Kentucky. That should be a win. You, you Kentucky sympathizers irritate me. Um, and then they host Florida in Tiger Stadium. That'll be interesting. They travel to Ole Miss, uh, travel to Alabama. That's going to be an interesting stretch. Ole Miss offensively should be one of the better teams. They're not going to be able to stop the run again, again. And LSU will be able to run the football against Ole Miss. We'll see how that goes. Then they go back to Tuscaloosa host Arkansas, host Louisiana Monroe, and then A&M. So, yeah, I mean, it should be a winning season for LSU. I mean, if it's not, there's no question that Orgeron's gone. But, yeah, they'll be a solid bowl team. I mean, you look at the schedule. I mean, all those non-conference games, they should win all four of those games. And you look at the rest of the schedule and say, oh, well, you know, they should be no worse than 500 in the league. Probably, you know, closer to five and three, maybe even six and two. And they could win ten games this year. They also could lose a couple more games than they should. And so, you know, this LSU team, it's going to be a good team. We're going to have to be on our best behavior to win that ball game. It helps that it's his home. It really does. And I also think you know, there's the factor, too, the Zach Arnett factor. You know, Zach went down there and uh, had the interview. Things didn't work out and uh, worked out good for us. So how much of that is going to be on Zach Arnett's mind? You know, the LSU people would say, oh, they didn't make an offer. You know, I, I've spoke to Zach about this before. And, you know, he says, you know, listen, it just, it just wasn't a good fit for one of us. You know, and I think a lot of it, too, is, you know, you know, Zach has autonomy at Mississippi State when it comes to the defense. I don't know that he would have had that at LSU. And I think at, at, at his core, I think that Ed Orsron likes the four-man defensive front. I think that's what he really likes. And they, they do some odd-man front from time to time that's necessary. But I think Ed wants to always be involved with coaching the defensive line. And you know what? That's his expertise, and he, yeah, it's his team. So maybe it wasn't a good fit. But maybe Zach Arnett's going to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Not to mention the fact, too, we gave up 34 points to those guys last year, and, you know, we had a couple of turnovers that kept them in the ballgame. 
So maybe we go out and make a statement in the ballgame. We'll see. You know, we'll, I'll, if we have a chance to you know, preview that in a couple months, you know, we'll talk about that. But uh, I don't think this is a game you look at and you automatically pencil in as a loss for Mississippi State. It's because I think this LSU team is still going to be a little bit vulnerable. They're also a team, too, I think. You know, when, when do the, the sanctions come down? It's all, that's the thing. You know, supposedly, LSU's going to get the notice of allegations. How much of that will kind of weigh on LSU throughout the season? It's impossible to completely insulate them from that. You know, when these allegations come out there, I mean, you can do the best you can. You know, if you're a young guy, you're going to go play. But if you want these coaches, maybe you begin to wonder, you know, do we need to start looking for something else? So we'll just kind of watch and see. And we'll keep you updated on that. But, again, do I expect LSU to get some football sanctions? Yes, I do. But I think the worst end of this is going to be on – the basketball side of it. And, and it, you know, we, we recently, like the whole thing with Baylor, people kind of threw that up and say, oh, well, LSU, LSU situation is completely different. The NCAA doesn't sanction people for crimes. That's why we have a district attorney. They handle that. They're like sometimes people act like the NCAA should be like the Illuminati or whatever and just, you know, be able to be a one-world power or whatever and be able to, you know, oh, well, you guys, you got speeding tickets, so here, let's dock you a scholarship. It's not how it always works. And maybe they should. You know, you remember the Penn State stuff. You know, it was, you know, probably, I think we all probably agreed Penn State probably should have been sanctioned for all the things that went on with that abuse scandal. It was absolutely horrendous. But you know what? There was a, probably a little bit of an overreach right there, if we're being honest with ourselves. You know, the NCAA ended up having to kind of reinstate some of those and, and retract some of those penalties. And, and so because of that, you're not going to see the NCAA begin to kind of hand out sanctions that are kind of beyond their purview. But anyway, LSU is going to get some trouble. You know, the, 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 remember the, L, the LSU stuff about the uh, the pay of the players and, and the stuff from the Our Lady of the Lake charity and that sort of thing? That hadn't gone away either. We, why do you think they took a bowl ban? I mean, let that sink in for a second. Why would they take a bowl ban if the football allegations are going to be minor? They're not. It's not just women's basketball on track, okay? All right, last segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. I've shared with you guys before, if you, and if you haven't done it, you owe it to yourself. If you're even thinking about it, maybe one day, ride out there and check it out for yourself. You don't have to go hire a real estate agent. You don't have to make a phone call to Brooks Bryan. Just ride out there and look around. It's a public neighborhood. Come in on 82, turn on 12 like you're going towards campus. Take the ride on Pat Station Road, which is the very first ride. That'll take you over Old West Point Road, and there it is. There's Portico. New construction, that great walking track. Phase one, I think there's one house left in phase one. Phase two, under construction, that's all gonna, it's all going to happen soon. And many of you have said, you know what, one day I want to move back to Starkville. Or one day I want to have a place in Starkville, a game day retreat. Or maybe I want to have an investment property here. And I'll Airbnb it out when I'm not using it, and I'll just come up there when it's time for uh, the regionals. We'll look no further than Portico. Very easy to get to, 1.1 miles from campus. You can get two-bedroom, two-bath, four-bedroom, four-bath homes to fit any size family. Great place to live. Starkville is the best. Many of you have always dreamed of it. Let's make it a reality. And if you're that significant other that says, you know what, I'm the research person in my family, you owe it to yourself to at least make the phone call. Go see what your options look like. Make that dream a reality. Brooks Bryan, a longtime friend of mine, Brooks, a guy that does a great job 
supporting Mississippi State, supporting Starkville, trying to make Starkville a better place to live. Give Brooks a call today, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. He wore the M over S, so you know you can trust him. Again, I like to do business with Bulldogs whenever we can. Okay, a lot of feedback about the, uh, the segment about Scott Field the other day. So I want to share with you guys, I've written about this before, but, and I had a chance to talk to Chris Monis about this uh, just yesterday. So, you know, Mississippi State has always been good at baseball. That's just, we have. That's just kind of how it is. And so, you know, our very first coach was a guy named Bill Jennings, and he was a player coach. We lost one game, and he pitched every game. But our first non-player coach was actually our second coach, a guy by the name of G.C. Krillman, George Christie Krillman. And so – Coach Krillman was originally from Canada. He was a guy that absolutely loved baseball. He coached a team, set up a schedule. He was really more of a manager. But he also was, you know, a professor at Mississippi State. He had an incredible life, though, even beyond Mississippi State. That's one of the things I want to talk about. He was an assistant biology professor at State, took, took the job in 1889. Back in those days, there weren't a lot of college programs to play, so you kind of played area teams, a lot of semi-pro teams around whatever, because it was still considered pretty much a recreational sport. College baseball wasn't organized yet. People loved baseball, but there weren't really leagues yet. We weren't part of a conference yet. That didn't happen much later. But Krillman took over, went to work right away, in addition to teaching botany to Mississippi State students, he was out there making some big things happen on the baseball field. Was a guy that didn't win, didn't lose many ball games. It's one of those things like we always talk about how great we are. We've been in baseball, and we have been. We got off to a great start. We absolutely did. And uh, you know, I talked about Bill Jennings only losing that you know one ball game, and he was considered by many to be the first guy in Southern baseball to be able to throw a curveball. That's quite an advantage. And we lost the last game of his career to a bunch of ringers from Kosciuszko. How cool is that? We win them all, and then it takes a bunch of basically you know, professional players you know, to beat us. But going back to the, um, the Krillman era, Guys, he goes undefeated his first six seasons here. Now, we didn't play a lot of games back then, you know, three or four a year. His last year, we lose the only two games we play. One of the star players on GC's team is a guy by the name of Hugh Kritz. Kritz, Kreitz, however you want to pronounce it. He ended up being university president at Mississippi State. His son... Hugh Jr., or Huey Kretz, ended up playing for the Diamond Dogs and going to the major leagues. So it's all really all kind of connected there. Now, after G.C. Krohman left Mississippi State, some incredible things happened with him. He went back to Canada and took some of the, uh, the great lessons he had learned by being at this great land-grant institution in Mississippi State, a lot of farming ideas, and really revolutionized the farming industry 
in Canada. He also worked really hard for gender equity, became the secretary of the Fruit Growers Association in Canada, helped those farmers farm their lands more efficiently, brought greater crop yields than ever before. He is credited with creating a greater understanding for farming as an industry and modernizing farming practices in Canada. Guy was your baseball coach. When he passed away, in his obituary, it said, the real merits of the man, the vastness of the work he did during his lifetime, his wonderful personality and his dedication to agriculture are fully appreciated only by those who knew him. And again, another guy out there doing the right thing for people without expecting a lot of uh, you know, credit for himself. So not only was he your baseball coach and had some really good success here. And again, you know, we didn't play a lot of games back then. We were still good. We still won what we played. And then he leaves here and goes back to Canada and then makes Canada better. It's incredible. And it's like I, sometimes I think to myself, well, you know, where are all these stories? Well, I'm writing them. How about that? They hadn't really been written. I'm going to do the best I can. I think it's important that these guys get a mention because they help lay the foundation. It's like Ron Polk said yesterday. It's kind of a pyramid. You know, it's like everybody along the way, you know, built the next level to get us to the pinnacle. And so G.C. Crowman, Bill Jennings, Duty Noble, Doc Patty, Dolly Stark, all those great coaches that were here for a while, did a great job for us, kind of building toward what we enjoy today. We've always been good at baseball. We always will be because we're committed to it. And of all the sports for us to pick, you know, we've got a recruiting base within our state now that allows us to be sustainable. Of course, Mississippi State recruits nationally, but it's nice to have players within your recruiting footprint, guys like Kellum Clark, guys like JT Ginn, and they're major league players and say, you know what, listen, I'm going to go to Mississippi State. I could go pro, but I'm going to go to Mississippi State and chase the dream of going to Omaha. Both of them did. Both of them made it. Jake Mangum, a guy that uh, didn't follow in his father's footsteps to Alabama, almost did, stays home because of his respect for Ron Polk, becomes the SEC all-time hits leader. Mississippi guy. But all of these things, you know, were kind of set in motion, you know, by, by some people years and years ago that, you know, maybe hoped and dreamed of a day like this, and they had no idea what college baseball was going to be. And then once college baseball got organized, all of a sudden we got organized. We said, you know what, this is something we can do. This is something, you know, maybe, maybe we don't have the facilities perhaps to win an arms race. And football facility-wise, but baseball, we can do it. One of the guys that we're going to talk about soon is a guy named Billy Chadwick. You guys may wonder who Billy Chadwick is. Well, right outside of the Bryan building is uh, Chadwick Lake. The guy was an absolute giant for Mississippi State. The guy that did everything for the Bulldogs. I think it's important for us, as we appreciate our past, to respect these people that uh, you know, took jobs at Mississippi State, well, maybe they weren't high paying, maybe they weren't high profile, and they came in here and worked their tails off to make Mississippi State a better place. So that's your look back today, brought to you by Portico. Make it your next move. 
All right, so pretty soon I'm going to be out on the road again. We'll have a lot of game day signings here. Sign a lot of books. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it at great bookstores everywhere. If they don't have it, they can order it for you. It's very easy to find. If you don't want to deal with that, just go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, and you can order it directly. It is still hanging in there on the Mississippi bestsellers list over two months after its release. Thank you very much. I never expected it to be as, as successful as it has been. You guys are awesome. I went, had to go sign some books yesterday downtown for some of you guys. And they're told, they told me they're in the mail. If you're looking for my other books, you can find them again at great bookstores wherever you'd like. They can order them. Uh, or you can order directly from alphadogsthebook.com. If you want personalization, if you want me to sign a book for you, or for a friend or a relative, whatever, uh, go to alphadogsthebook.com. That's alpha, D-A-W-G-S, thebook.com. And you can get signed copies of Flim Flan, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. And pretty soon, you'll be able to pre-order Dogpile. When I get done with this, i got a quick article to write, and I'll be right back on the dog pile work, and then we're going to go back out to practice today. I've only missed two practices, and both times I've had engagements. I had a book signing, and I had a speaking engagement last night, some recovery-related stuff. And so I'm looking forward to getting out there, talking to players. You know, we've, uh, we've had full coverage over at jeanspage.com. If there's been a player that's been interviewed, we've had it. We'll run your Q&A, we'll run a video, whatever you want. We believe in Mississippi State. We're Mississippi State people. Uh, looking forward to providing you guys great content in all the years to come. So this weekend, Mississippi State is going to scrimmage again. And so we'll be able to attend. Coach Leach has already said, once now once school starts, which is today, you know things are going to become a little more limited. But it looks like not yet. Maybe when we get into game prep, maybe we get into game week or install, maybe it may limit us to maybe 20 minutes of practice, which is more than we had the last two years. So we're grateful for everything that Coach gives us. And that kind of circles back to our original topic. He is trying to help us do the best job we can to provide you guys with the best coverage we can about your football team. He doesn't owe that to us, but he feels like he owes it to you. And so they have given us unprecedented access to try to make sure that you guys know what's going on with your program. And I am forever grateful for Mike Leach for what he's done, and I think we're going to have – a really good year this year. Do I think it's a great year? Probably not. I think we're a solid bowl team, maybe 7-5, 8-4. But I'm excited about the season. You should be too. And you should be excited at Mike Leach as your head coach. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.